Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Perfect Imbalance. On this show, we bring together conversation and expertise. My name is Jeff Way, and I'm the founder of Perfect Imbalance, the first podcast to challenge the myth of work-life balance and explore alternatives for improving overall well-being. Each week, I'll be interviewing different thought leaders, elite sports performers and entrepreneurs to understand how they are achieving happiness, success and greater fulfilment in their lives. So here's to you, the listeners, joining us each week. Welcome to Perfect Imbalance. On this episode, I interview the brilliant Di Murray, entrepreneur and energy behind a business called Coming Up For Air. Dai is very much an antidote to some of the craziness going on in this world. And during our discussion, we touch on holding the space for people to explore, the importance of doing some deep listening, and the holy grail of work-life balance. Here's Dai. Dai, thank you very much indeed for agreeing to come on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to spend some time with you, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you've got to say. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. Good to be with you, Jeff. Now, as with each of my guests prior to having an interview, I send you out some thoughts on what I call perfect imbalance. And the first question I like to ask each of my guests is, what are your thoughts on work-life balance? Yeah, well... um... Initially, when I kind of read over that question, Jeff, when you sent it to me, I was thinking about it's quite an overused term, actually. And this kind of idea that I think I've become a bit sensitised to the idea of work-life balance. And uh, I think it's been around for a while. And um, I wonder how much I kind of see it as the sort of holy grail of what we're trying to achieve you know if we if we get to some sort of um perfect balance that we can then say we've arrived in some way um and i wonder if it's less about this idea that those two things uh, have to be in balance um and more about what happens when we feel like we don't have choice in either of those arenas so for me, I think there's something about, well, there's two things. One is what happens when we actually feel like terms that are maybe overused or we're over familiar with, um, do we then switch off a bit and sort of stop, stop, uh, almost ignore them? And I think that's something I'd like to think about a bit more. But also this idea that if it's not about balance or just saying that I've got those two things in balance, then how do I create more choice within both of those arenas to live in a way that's more sustainable? Mm-hmm. I like your thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying I've got the answers to that, but I think I, you know, getting really curious about this idea of, you know, at any given moment, whether that's in my work or in uh, my life, which I think is interesting anyway, because work is life, is all part of life. Um, you know that actually within either of those things at any given moment, do I have uh, awareness of what's going on? And then within that awareness, do I have some choice that might lead me to be able to make, um, you know, good quality decisions or to have good conversations or to ask for what I need in that moment and, you know, what, all of those things. <laughs> You've got me pondering, and, and it's a question that I've posed many, many times, not only to my guests, but, but also to myself. Mm. And I think my initial thoughts were very much around, similar to what you've said there, that it, it's almost become a term that's overused and we can find ourselves you know, trying to strive for it or in some cases um, ignoring it and thinking, well, that, that, that doesn't work for me or, or my life doesn't fit into the confines of, of typically what work-life balance might entail. Mm. Mm. 
what I, what I'm picking up on, what I really like there is, is, is this awareness and having awareness of what's going on at any one time. And also with that awareness, do, do we feel like we have choice? Mm. Because it's when we don't have choice that sometimes we can, you know, get a little bit bogged down. And also sometimes when we have too much choice, we can be paralyzed because actually we're not sure which choice to make. Um, so I like, I like, I like your thoughts. Um <laughs> And, and I like where you've gone with it. And like you, I'm going to continue to ponder uh, around work-life balance and, and the whole balance thing as well. Yeah. And I and I think sometimes um, there's a lot of kind of sound bites almost that are around. And I think our media um, creates those as well. But these sort of sound bites that draw us into this idea that there's kind of quick fixes to things so, you know, if I just get the work-life balance right, um, I'll be fine or, you know, things will be better. And, and actually it kind of flies in the face of what we know about how transformation happens or how we come to a state of, of joy or peace. Um, I didn't say happiness because I... <laughs> I know that's uh, that that kind of feeds that in, into that for me as well. But th there's something for me about even the term work-life balance that somehow feeds into this this notion that that there's a there's a an instantness about it or a kind of one-word answer about it. Do, do you know what I'm saying, Jeff? That sort of sense that um, if I if I just do this it will be all right. <laughs> if I just do X, I will get Y. And actually, I don't think life works like that. I think it's way more complex. I think it's um, much more nuanced than that. And, and, and how we navigate those nuances and the, um, the complexities is actually what, what I think is, where our work is, if you like, Absolutely. rather than... A, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. We have become obsessed in some cases by the the need for a quick fix which isn't always helpful and actually when you do allow yourself some time to pause and reflect on mm. how you've arrived at a certain point whatever that might be rarely mm. is it through a quick fix uh, it mm. is more through the work as you described there or the journey or the process and often within that process, going back to balance, we can actually find ourselves out of balance rather than in balance. So results. Absolutely. And and it's I, I, I sense that kind of shared um, joy actually around holding spaces for folk where those questions can arise, those differences can be present. Um, you, you're doing that through a podcast and I do that through workshops and facilitation and different kinds of spaces. But but that that and what that enables in other people is just so joyous, isn't it? You know, when we can see that it enables people to to ponder and be curious and to ask more questions and then to to notice what's going on for them in response to that. Well, that for me gives me a lot of joy, and it's probably the why I do the work that I do. Um, but it's been a really long journey, Jeff, of you know not not. Um, coming in with the answers and not going now that the answer to work-life balance is X, Y and Z. And if you just follow these lovely 10-point step, you'll find it. <laughs> you're, so, you're so right. And, and actually, when you start to create space for people, you start to ponder yourself as well and through that curiosity learn, learn different things. And in a world that you know, rushes around at 100 mile an hour, and finds it very difficult to switch off, there's not enough space or enough people creating space that allows people to have some of those deeper thoughts. And I think that that is really how Coming Up For Air started. It, was, it started with this, this noticing, it started with this listening to both myself and to others around me, about really listening to almost like a, a yearning, a longing for that kind of space that didn't really seem to exist. Um, and just kind of 
noticing and doing some deep listening and, and noticing patterns and themes in conversations that I was having, um, particularly with other women. Um, but but being a bit sort of disgruntled with just having these conversations which didn't go anywhere. And, and I found it quite motivating to think about, well, actually, what about if I just get on and create spaces like that and why don't why do I just do that and see what happens and and one of the things that was really early on for me seemed really important what that was that those types of spaces were free of agenda yeah. and that it was a bringing of stimuli if you like in all sorts of different forms and, and questions and things that were um, people were wanting to talk about perhaps or that they valued in life um, and, and bringing different types of stimuli and a really um, – but an agenda-free space. So people would say to me, well, Di, what is this space? And say, well, I'm not quite sure yet. I'm going to bring some stuff and we're going to have a look at that together and we're going to see what happens in the space and we're going to see what bubbles up and emerges for you and we're going to do that together. So I'm not coming in as the expert. I'm not coming in as the person who has, um, you know, got it all together. I'm more accompanying you on, on that journey, as it were. So I saw myself and still do see myself much more as a, uh, as a guide or a journeying with somebody or a team or whatever that is, depending on what I'm facilitating. Um, and, 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 I think, and I think that's been really important to the kind of essence, if you like, of coming up rare. And it's been a really fascinating experience for me to go back and look at the start of the journey. Um, Jeff, as you've kind of invited me into doing that, um, because what it's reminded me is that, or what it's, yeah, it's reminded me of the of the essence of the beginning, those early beginnings. But it's also making me think, well, what what have I lost along the way that maybe needs to be pulled back toward that that early kind of um, sensing of what was important, and to what extent have I actually bought into these uh, myths around? Oh, you need to have you know a much clearer agenda about this style coming up for air needs to have x y and z and follow the business model and all of these things you know so it's been really it's it's been lovely to go back to the early days as it were to think about well actually what what made this a really helpful space for people um and i and i think being agenda free really does something for people it says and it really promotes ownership for others and says well actually I'm not the expert what what's happening for you in this space is important and it is what it is <laughs> I'm not trying to make you get to somewhere I'm not trying to make you get to become someone that you're not um, I'm simply providing the container if you like and the content and also some containment, there's always got to be boundaries. So that, that sense of there's a container here, a legitimate space, um, I'll give you some content, some stimulus to work with, but actually what happens with that and what happens and what is created both within you and between the people that are in that space, we don't know what that is yet. And I don't actually need to know. Wow, it's, there's so many things running through my mind, and I'm I'm focusing on what you're saying, and I'm I'm connecting with what you're saying because I've come from the world of of learning and development where there's always an agenda. Mm. It's mapped out from the very start in terms of this is the overall objective for the workshop or the program, and this is what we're going to go through today. And then by the end of the day, we'll review that. And, and, and so it, agendas exist in, in a lot of people's jobs, roles. And I, I think the bit that's fascinating me the most, which I want to explore a little bit with you, is how do people react and respond when you let them know that there is no agenda? Mm. The only things that they need to be mindful of are that you, you're going to help them facilitate through this safe space 
but you don't have all the answers. How do people react and respond to that? Yeah, so good question. Um, differently. So people have different responses to that and they have um, – so discomfort, I would say, is um, is one of the responses. Um, intrigue and sort of – I think it sparks curiosity. Um, I think – Putting it into the room and being quite explicit about it um, builds trust. So um, I think it, it it's surprising to people that I would sort of level the playing field somehow with that. Um, so, yeah, a whole range of responses, some articulated, some evident in body language, some unsaid, some assumed, you know, but but actually are sort of feeling our way together through this, um, I think was refreshing for people. So, yes, an element of discomfort, like I'm not quite sure what's going to happen here and um, I'm not quite sure how comfortable I am with the not knowing. Um, so, yeah, that whole variety of things. But I think I think the, the, the sort of shared responsibility of that um, – a builds trust and and B builds responsibility and autonomy and says, you know, we we've all got responsibility in this space uh, to make to, to to make of it what we will and also to um, you know to be generous to one another in that space. Yeah, what runs through my mind again is. It's like little fireworks going off today, which is brilliant. Is is those the terms messy and vulnerable, mm. which which I keep hearing. Yeah, and and I think um, you know this is not saying that this is the only way to do things or the only appropriate way to do things, but I think in terms of being a little bit of a an antidote to the kind of craziness of the world, to have a space that is largely agenda free. Um, but still has some structure, uh, you know, so it's not completely chaotic. It still has some structure. It might be a theme or it might be um, a particular metaphor or something that we're looking at. Um, but it, so it still has, a, has a, some order and some structure, but it's, it's, it's a kind of scaffolding that, that means that things are contained enough to do the exploration um, and, and people found it really hard to name. In the early days, I worked with teachers and I worked with working mums who were busy juggling um, work life, you know, and the myriad of things like parenthood. Um, and, and people, you know, people found it, uh, you know, both refreshing and disturbing <laughs> to some extent, you know. Um, and I think that was okay. Um, yeah. Well, it, it it certainly sounds okay because you know you're 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 talking about it confidently and in a way that whilst it might be uncomfortable for people at the very outset, I would imagine and 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 you can tell me in a moment that actually where people leave this process or or, or leave you in terms of transformation is very different to where they arrived. Can can you give us a little bit more? of a, an idea in terms of either the types of things people are doing or, or saying or, or what people are feeling when they've experienced this space with without agenda that, that you're able to create? Mm. Um, I think I think it really depends because this is obviously inner work. This is this is sort of strengthening the inner core of our you know, our, our, our inner selves. Um, and so it depends, I think, on where people enter the journey. Okay. So, you know, um, some people are coming in and are attracted to it because they're absolutely sort of parched and, and haven't had anything like that and are coming to it as a first stepping stone into actually that interior world and how do we how do we look at those things. Other people are attracted to it because they're already... Um, maybe experimenting or exploring that and reading a lot or, a, you know, um, in, in entering into that, the, the practices around their inner world. Maybe it's mindfulness or 
or something else. Um, and so they're attracted to it because they, um, you know, you, you see what you, you know, if you're, if you're a pregnant lady, you notice lots of pregnant ladies, you know, so if you, um, and uh, if you drive a red car, you'll notice red cars in, in that sort of, um, in that sort of way. So some people were coming to it because they were already, uh, already doing it. But what people told me, Jeff, and what people do tell me is that they almost can't name it. They were like, what is this space? And, and I, I, I kind of quite like that because it's not therapy and it's not, um, you know, straight mindfulness and it's not um, just a talking shop for our issues or our, you know, things that are bothering us or the challenges in our life. It's sort of like, well, what is this? And, and that sort of inability to name it and to hold something that's maybe a bit more mysterious, I, I have learned to be comfortable with that <laughs> And that people come away sort of feeling a bit disturbed, feeling a bit challenged, feeling a bit, ooh, there was something really good about that, um, and I'm not quite sure if I can name it. I, I've learnt to sit quite comfortably with that. Again, the world is revolving around labels or quick fixes or mm. hacks, and to have something which is, is clearly having an impact on people... And then not be able to label it is actually quite refreshing and intriguing and makes me even more curious about <laughs> what goes on. Well, I, I'm not sure that it's rocket science in the sense that kind of, um, you know, um, I find myself having to put labels on it like resilience or, um, you know, the, the, the sort of more familiar things that are around in our in our current climate that are very much needed. So I find myself applying labels to it, um, which, which is okay. It's okay to do that um, because, you know, they greatly overlap. Um, but I think it's coming back to the, it's coming back to the values of, of kind of what, what's, what's the underlying things that, that holds any kind of space. So for me, the underlying values of, of coming up for air are curiosity, which we've already started to talk about, compassion and, and courage. And I think if we have more of those three things in our world, we're going to be moving towards something <laughs> a little bit more sustainable than the craziness of what it is just now. So curiosity, Jeff, if I'm just to sort of you know, our definitions can be can be slightly um, helpful to sort of think about what we mean by that. So curiosity for me is is a place of more childlike wonder and exploration. And I think as we go, as we get older, that sort of sense of just wondering both, oh, isn't, I wonder what is happening here, kind of gets beaten out of us as we in inverted commas, mature, yeah, the expectation yeah. that we should now know because we're a certain age or we should now have it all together because we are, you know, been doing the same job for 20 years. You know, so this sense of being able to, again, like a child, be really curious and wonder about stuff and, and let our minds wander to... Um, places of the unknown I think is a really powerful thing and it's really interesting that Harvard Business Review just last month you know did a whole article on the benefits of curiosity um, and uh, you know it's kind of really lovely to sort of see it, it, it being in, in such a public domain and, and also in such a scientific um, area that the benefits of curiosity are really well known we make less decision, um, make less um, errors in our decision making. We're much more innovative. Um, we, we're much more. Um, le we're less likely to have group conflict, and 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 conflict in general when we can, you know, actually ask questions and wonder about things. I wonder what's happening for you over there as you say that. Um, conflict is reduced because we don't get into judgment. But I also think there's so, – so going back to the sort of values piece and also what I bring in the sort of practicalities of the workshops and the spaces that I deliver, um, 
is is curious. So using art materials, using getting away from words and getting into exploration in a way that we would do with kids. You know, do you remember kind of like doing any kind of just paper mache as a kid or any of these sorts of things where, you know, you, you were kind of getting messy and creating stuff? And I think that's a great analogy for life, like you said, the messiness of life. And I think when we get our hands dirty and play, be much more playful like a child would, it releases something in us. So it's not just about creativity or the the product at the end. In fact, it's not about that at all. Um, it's about the process, like you shared earlier. So curiosity, that that idea that how can I wonder more about something rather than have a very fixed idea about what it is. And I think that gets, I don't know if it gets beaten out of us as adults or if it, we just think we can't give ourselves permission to do that anymore. I'm not quite sure why, but I certainly see it really prevalent um, uh, in, in, in the adults that I work with, really, you know, intelligent people not allowing themselves to be more curious. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to agree. I think... I think it has been beaten out of us. It is beaten out of us, and it, only the only a few seem to be able to rekindle or rediscover what it what it's like to, you know, be a child and and to explore and to be curious and to get messy and to not know the answer and to be unsure and to ask. Yeah, and you know, it's companies are recognizing that people. Um, perform at their best not because they've got a, a, a very specialist skill or they've become some highly specialised, um, you know, develop some highly specialised skill, but it's actually that coupled with curiosity. So that leads them to be able to ask questions and to explore and to collaborate. That's the things that people are actually looking for in really what we inverted commas high-performing people. So, you know, looking about what, what else are they interested in apart from work? And I guess this kind of taps back into your work-life balance question as well. So not becoming so super specialised in just one field, um, you know, not pursuing one niche, but having having access and having interest in a wide range of things, um, that powers our curiosity, um, just just being exposed to lots of different things. So reading books that are not related to your field, um, you know, is a great a great way to foster curiosity. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think one of the one of the classic examples of a sort of curiosity is to is to go in with with really good questions. And I think Greg Dyke, um, you know, when he first went into the BBC, um, you know, I think uh, it said that employees expected a really you know, long presentation about what he was going to do and how he was going to change things. And all he did was ask a simple question, what's the one thing I should do to make things better for you? And then listen listen to what they said, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I think sometimes we overcomplicate things. I overcomplicate things. You know, I work with businesses as well and I go in and I sort of think I, I have to have, have it all together and I have to have... Um, you know, this amazing sort of program of leadership or whatever it is, but really simple questions to spark people's curiosity and to let that, let people sit with it for longer than we normally do. Yes, we're very quick to put parameters around these things. And, that's, and, that's and yeah, thing. it does. And and I think that's what, you know, going back to the sort of play element, that, that element of playing um, as children do, that's how you start to see how things unfold. It's not by asking a question and having an answer. All that does is sort of set us up for polarities and for division, I think. Um, and I really love um, one, one of my favourite authors is, is, a, is a guy called Richard Raw, and he's a, he's a friar. He comes from a sort of um, Christian tradition um, and he has really helped me to think about the extent to which in the West particularly we uh, live in a very dualistic mindset. So it's either this or it's that. It's black or it's white. It's right or it's wrong. I'm good or I'm bad. 
And actually, I think what curiosity does is it helps us to see the grey in between, which is actually where most of life sits. <laughs> Um, and so I really, I really love his work. He's and he's been a big influence on really on my thinking um, around. Well, what what if you know? What if I wonder about this not just being black or white, right or wrong? What if I sit with the kind of much more dis- uncomfortable feeling of the in between? So that's a very long-winded way of saying one of the values of coming up for air is curiosity. Um, the other one, Jeff, is is compassion, and I, you know, I think more and more we see this real need for compassion, um, but not in the sense of some religious kind of um, concept so much, although I suspect it is, but just that what compassion does for us as human beings, how we show empathy to each other, um, how we how we meet mistakes and meet meet unex- um, things that are unexplained and unexpected, how we meet those things with kindness and how we treat ourselves. And so, you know, the, the definition of self-compassion, obviously, around how we treat ourselves as we would somebody that we love um, or care about. And I would say out of all of the things that I um, encounter, whether that's one-to-one or in groups, that that compassion is is so missing from, um, you know, from our lives and from, from our interior lives, um, but has the most kind of ability to really transform um, the, just ourselves, the, the what we want to do in the world and who we are. Self-compassion, I would say, is... Um, well, somebody says, the Dalai Lama, in fact, <laughs> says that it's essential for human survival... And, and that's really got me thinking the, the importance of compassion, that it's not just this, you know, nice thing to do or nice thing to, to extend towards someone, but actually it actually is linked to the survival of the human race. Yeah, it's, there seems to be a, a, a bit of a movement starting or, or taking place in terms of self-care and, and, and self-compassion, which... Mm. It's great on the one hand. Mm. On the other hand, it, it provokes the, the thought in my mind that, that mm. says, well, how how have we ever moved away from that, and how have we allowed ourselves to to stop caring or or to stop being compassionate for for ourselves? But I I do keep hearing more and more people recently talk about you know like getting on an aeroplane, apply your own oxygen mask first, mm. and look mm. after yourself, and it's 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 quite frightening that we've we've allowed ourselves to move away from that yet there does appear to be this this movement or the timing is perhaps you know right now where that is slowly starting to to happen and to come back into people's lives and and with that mm. that will take a little bit of time i think for people to get really comfortable you know with with self-care and self-compassion yeah, and I think that in itself is a massive, a massive kind of topic. Um, oh, it's almost where to start, Jeff. It's it's there's the question of what self compassion is and why we need it. I think um, part of what I wonder about the pace and the complexity of what what we're living with it makes it really difficult to be compassionate because we treat ourselves and our organisations much more like machines than humans. Mm. And, and I think the clue is in the name. Um, you know, we are designed to be human beings, not human doers or doings. And, and I think, you know, it really goes against quite a lot of the, the cultures of what we live in. But also just in a broader sense, we, we don't have those natural connectors that we once did in terms of living in smaller communities and having family around us and having natural support systems in place. Um, You know, we're travelling all over the world, we're changing jobs, our whole careers are completely different to what they used to be. And so what we need at any point, at any moment, looks very different to what we could rely on even perhaps, um, you know, 50 years ago. 
and and so I think I'm wondering I'm not thinking I'm wondering whether some of the the rise in the self-compassion piece is because actually we're we're striving to do something that we're not really designed to do we haven't our own kind of evolution hasn't caught up with what's going on in the in the world and and so I think maybe there's there's an element where we really need to be addressing our compassion and our self-compassion in a way that we haven't needed to before yeah it's the word wonder is what I'm going to pick up on and one that I will will hold and and think about even more Possibly we're not ready. Possibly we are catching up with ourselves. Um, you're certainly right in what you say that in terms of how we conduct ourselves and, and the fact that we are very, it's very different to what it was 50 years ago in terms of the people that are around us, family that are around us, we're changing jobs all the time. In, in some cases, we're doing more than one job. The, 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 the pressure is is very different. In part, we've created it, but but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily allow self care, self compassion to happen naturally. Mm. Di, there's there's a real energy about what you do, and and actually a real compassion about what what you talk about and and what you're sharing. But what do you see as your purpose, and how you can make a contribution to the world? Well, I think um, <laughs> one of one of the things about purpose is it it shifts and it, and it kind of you know. But if I was to sum it up, I would I suppose say people would describe me as a compassionate disruptor. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I, expand a little. Well, I think I, I think that sense that actually it's not a it's not kind of coming into a retreat or a cozy space, which is like having a spa day or something, where you just kind of come in and be pampered. There's something that's yes, there's compassion and there's self care and there's but there's also that self efficacy piece, which is actually you know this is about you taking ownership and responsibility over stuff and in order to do that i'm going to disrupt some of your thinking i'm going to disrupt some of the maybe the 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 known things that you have as a way of working or a way of operating so i'm i'm going to tweak with some of those things um it's not just about kind of lying on a couch and having a massage you know it, 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 there's something about it being a little bit more energetic than that. Um, so the the disruption, I think, is it can be in terms of the way I work. So using using um, methods and models and tools and things that are not kind of um, you know what we don't normally maybe see in workshops. So lots of people walk into my workshop and look at the kind of array of things on the table, and you can see the fear come across their face. <laughs> And I'm like, it's going to be okay. You can do this. <laughs> what, what would they be seeing when they? Oh, they might—they might be just seeing a, a table full of craft. They might be seeing, um, you know, a whole um, construction materials. They might be seeing Lego. They might be seeing paint. They might be seeing things on the floor. They might be seeing, um, yeah, just stuff for them to interact with, really. Play-Doh. Oh yeah, bit of play doh. Yeah, that sends shivers down my spine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, there's that sense of like disrupting maybe their um, expectations about what a leadership workshop might look like. For example, um, we might be writing some poetry. <laughs> we might be uh, listening to some music. Um, I mean, Jeff, one of the most profound and sort of engaging workshops that I ever went on was where we were asked to dance to a piece of classical music for about seven minutes. Right. Now, I haven't been brave enough to do that in any of my workshops yet. <laughs> um, but it had a really profound effect on me. It had a really, um, the, the freedom that came with that and the kind of sense of disruption to my own patterns of, you know, what was acceptable, what was not acceptable, um, and helping me to engage in content in a, in a completely different way, I'll never forget it. And 
the sense of what I experienced there, um, you know, really has stayed with me. I can recount it, recall it, draw on it really easily in a way that if you've given me a PowerPoint presentation on it, I would, you know, I probably couldn't tell you anything about it now. So there's something about there's something about taking some risks in uh, in these kind of spaces and actually inviting people into some risk that that will disrupt. And again, being explicit about that, this will disrupt you. I'm not saying it's not going to, but hopefully in a way that that creates movement. So a, a movement away from something, a movement towards something else. And that's there's lots of choice in that. Yes, it's risky, but there's loads of choice. You don't have to do this. You don't have to go with it. Um, but if you do, you might something might might be illuminated for you. Yes. Well, what I'm thinking, I can't get past the dance. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm nodding as you're talking about the fact that you know people don't have to do it. It's up to them. It's their choice. But actually, by doing it. It's going to provoke uh, some different thoughts and potentially, you know, trigger something else with, within their mind. Um, when you do decide to introduce that um, dance to seven-minute piece of classical music, mm. are I you will, coming along? I'm coming along, definitely. Excellent. That, that that's the kind of crazy thing which you know, if somebody asked me to do that initially, I'd be like, whoa, what? I'm yeah. not going to dance in front of a whole host of strangers to a classical piece of music for seven yeah. minutes. Yeah. I can tell you now, 45 seconds in, um, I, I would be the one that is embracing that, that experience and, and going with it because I, I know that coming out the other end of those seven minutes, it's something that would be very memorable and would stick with me and yeah. be able to talk about for the rest of my life. Exactly. And again, that's why it's the same principle of inviting people to... To, to interact with with something other than language and other than just visual and something that they create together. So, you know, and it's just this this whole idea that the energy and connections in a room are created together in at the time. And that's not something that I have any control over. You know, I can't I can't start a workshop and say, you know, at the end of this you're going to all learn exactly the same thing. Um, I'm going to give you these 10 things and you will learn them and it will mean the same thing for all of you. I mean, it's just crazy, isn't it, to, 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 to think like that. It is, um, but there's still people out there that that's exactly how they design their workshops, which is frightening. Yeah. I tell you what's interesting, though, Jeff, just even kind of thinking about this as I'm speaking to you and noticing how I have how I have shifted some of my my work more recently Big, to, to almost like I feel a pull away from that that original essence of coming up for air and it's a real challenge to me because you know when when you see that fear on people's faces as they why this is not what I signed up for you know I'm not doing this <laughs> and um and and thinking well how much have I shifted away actually from 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 all of that good stuff that happens and how much do I do I buy into what the corporate world or a particular client even might say, you can do that, but don't do that, die, you know. And how much do I hold in my own uh, business to to those things that really that really worked and really kind of were fundamental to coming up for air? So I'm just thinking about that as I'm talking to you because that, that feels really important for me to notice that and to also maybe think about the where have I shifted and where has the – where has that maybe been an unhelpful thing? Um, so that that's yeah, that's helpful for me to think about that. That's interesting because actually, you know, you have you've said that twice, or certainly alluded to, you know, your own thinking and your own reflection on where coming up for air began versus mm. the, the the type of things that you have evolved in, into doing at the moment. That's interesting. yeah. And and I think there's you know there's a prag there can be a pragmatic thing around that where where you know you have to be able to adjust and and to adapt I think things in order to fit fit the audience and also to fit um, you know there's an appropriateness sometimes in what what you deliver which I think is right 
Um, but there's also a real sense that actually what 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 people are really seeking and looking for is is maybe not yet to be found in all of those spaces and it's not being delivered and and what do i bring as a as a as a person and what do i bring um uniquely to share with the world um and i think that's that's what i really gives me a lot of joy is offering that for other people that potential for them to get in touch with what's their their unique offering um and 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 to be able to share that wider in the world and i'm really i'm really keen that what whatever you know it's whatever it is that i'm delivering is uh there's an authenticity about that so if i find myself wandering off the path I, you know pull myself back to actually well actually this is this is what i've got to offer um yeah i get that sense from you that your own values are really important to you to the point where you will sensor check yourself and make sure that you are living them and being a as true to yourself as you possibly can be because that that, that that's fundamentally important to you yeah i try i try to jeff i try to don't always, don't always get it get succeed in that but yeah it is a real sense of um and i would see that as a very much an you know my own inner work um, that enables that. But don't we need more people in the world? Do you think who are really living out of that? And who, um, you know, if everybody was really able to be truly authentic, um, just what a difference that would make in our workplaces, in our families. Um, and and I think probably the overarching thing is to, with coming up for air is just to enable more freedom in people. Yeah, that that is a consideration which I think few have have given themselves enough time to explore and therefore will end up defaulting back to the person that they want to appear to be I mean I'm totally with you I think if if, if the world was full of more people that were authentic and going back to some of what you said a little bit earlier on compassionate as well and compassionate for themselves and compassionate for others, we, we, we'd have a very different society right now to, to what we have. There's a, a lot of negativity. There's a lot of falseness. There's a lot of putting on masks. There's a lot of behaving in a way that people feel they ought to mm. rather than actually being true to themselves, which, which, which is a real shame because when you do get those moments, as I'm sure you do, of that authentic person coming out, or, or just being true to themselves and sharing what's in them, going on in their mind in in a in a non-threatening way, then all of a sudden that has a little ripple effect on those people around them, and in turn you see more and more people, you know, being true to themselves. Absolutely, and and it's wonderful to see to actually see the visible effect of that over the course of a workshop, or even in a moment, in a small moment, and that's what connects us more deeply with each other. I really I really love um, Brené Brown's work. I'm a big fan and have followed her avidly for a long time. And her definition of courage um, is asking for what you need, speaking your truth, owning your story setting boundaries and reaching out for support. And, you know, I think that that, that definition of courage encapsulates something of what you were saying there, that, you know, when we're able to, to own our story, to say, yeah, this is actually who I am, when we're able to ask for what we need, well, when we're able to set our own boundaries um, and actually re reach out for support and actually say, yeah, I can't do this alone, um, then you know it, it and then courage that 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 kind of courage really begets more courage it's a total ripple effect and then we've got more courageous more courageous workforces we've got people taking risk in a positive way not in a risk averse way um and you know we definitely need that in our world we need people being more stepping up and being way more courageous we do and and as oh, I'd, I'd love to explore that more with you because that that to me is one of the things that if we were able to fix or able to give people just a little bit more courage to 
to share some of these things to you know take ownership of their own story then then we'd have different conversations with one another different things would happen and it, it would ultimately it's got to lead to to a better existence than than, than what we have you know right now mm. going on in the world oh i just love that i just love that now Di, i i have what i call some guest favorites some 60 second quickfire questions towards the end of each interview mm. that, that really i ask my guests because i want the listeners to experience something different from from each of the guests and understand a little bit more albeit some of it's a bit random so they can make those connections so i've got some quick fire questions for you if you're ready i'm ready go for it okay first one up then social media platform of choice if you could only use one i am rubbish at social media jeff this is a big fess up i i am just not not uh so i'm gonna have to say Facebook because um, I really don't have a social media preference of choice. Okay. I, I um, but yeah, probably Facebook um, is is I'm I'm not really great on Twitter and other things. Um, I have a slight moral dilemma with it all, in that I know that I need it for my business, but there's another part of me that just knows how it can suck me down a rabbit hole. <laughs> You're absolutely right, and it does it does suck people down the rabbit hole. Anyone that you admit to admiring on social media? Oh yeah, definitely Brené Brown. I'm huge, huge fan. Um, I also really like the work of um, Dr. Emma Seppala, so I do follow her. And um, I do actually follow quite a few people. But every year, I try and have a bit of a clear out of some of my social media, some of my in posts. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and say, do I really need this person in my life, or are they just a distraction and a comparison that I'm setting up? <laughs> Quite possibly both. Okay, three guests to dinner, past or present? Yeah, I would have um, my my sister who died about twelve years ago. I would love to just see her again and chat to her. Um, I would have a guy whose name I can't even pronounce very well but he's called Bezel van der Kolk and he wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score and it's um, a really amazing book about um, uh, the effects of trauma and stress and how we hold that in our bodies um, and uh, how how the body kind of um, is so deeply connected so I'm really interested in the sort of somatic somatic work I'd love to pick his brain um, and then I would probably love to sit down with Tara Moore, who wrote uh, a book called Playing Big. And um, I have drawn on her work a lot in my coaching, particularly with women uh, and around the inner critic and find her stuff really um, fabulous. So I'd love to sit down with her and pick her brain a bit as well. Wow, that's going to be some dinner. And Brené Brown didn't even get a look in. <laughs> well, she didn't, but, you know, there's so many. I had to whittle it down to three. <laughs> Maybe I feel like I know Brené better because I'm, a, you know, follow her on Facebook and LinkedIn. <laughs> quite possibly, quite possibly. Okay, a book or a podcast that you're currently reading or listening to? Yeah, so I've got a couple on the go. Um, I do dip in and out of the podcast called The Liturgist, which um, brings together a, a really amazing look at uh, faith, science and art. So it is bringing in uh, neuroscience and spirituality and uh, the arts and it brings on some, it has some key guests, some psychologists, some neuroscientists. Uh, it has a wonderful musician called Michael Gungor, whose music I really love. So, yeah, that, I find that really stimulating. I dip in and out of the liturgist um, just about life and faith and work and all sorts of things. Uh, and what was the other question you asked me? I've forgotten what it was, Jeff. A book, a book. A book, a book. Oh, yes. Um, I've got a few on the go, uh, but I've just been given a book uh, called Just Mercy. It was my birthday recently, and it's the story of justice and redemption by Brian Stevenson. And um, he's looking at uh, the rate of incarceration in the US and um, really looking at you know, just how death row has got a ridiculously large proportion of of black men on it. And so I'm really looking forward to getting into that book. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. 
I shall have a look for that. A mm. guilty pleasure, should you choose to view it that way, which you do when you have some time to yourself. Yeah, well, a gin and tonic is a guilty pleasure, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, yep. And, um, you know, with a, with various botanicals in it, and um, there's gin things popping up but, um, all over the place at the moment, isn't there? Craft gin places. Gin um, but definitely. It has. Um, but really guilty pleasure, nothing guilty about it really at all, which is being on, on a beach by water anywhere, sand under my feet. It must be the Australian in me. Um, but that absolutely is a, is a must if I forget who I am or where I'm going in life. That always helps. And, and you're, you're heading back out there this, this week, tomorrow? I am. I'm heading out tomorrow. I'm doing some work um, and then I'm taking a break and having time with family, which will be great. Fantastic. Well, I have three final questions for you, Di. Mm. Who would you like to see or hear as a future guest on the Perfect Imbalance podcast? I would like to um, – now, it's somebody that you probably won't know about, and I haven't asked their permission in any way, but I would like to see a poet, a poet come on. Um, and I heard her a few years ago, so um, if you can track her down, her name is Elle Grua, and uh, she's a really amazing poet. And uh, I would like to see – yeah, I'd like to see some of the sort of arts come on, I think, Jeff, in terms okay. of, yeah, I'll take that M- musical <laughs> arts. Yeah, no, it just, yeah, to, 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 to add to what you're doing, not to take away from it. I like a challenge. Um, and I agree, actually, it would be good to get um, some varied guests coming onto the show because that will only add to my own learning as well, which um, is, is fantastic. What projects are you currently working on and how can the listeners find out more about them? Mm. So um, I'm hoping to run some more open retreats uh, next year, so some two- and three-day retreats, and I'll be putting those up on my website uh, in the new year. Um, And it will be going back to more of those, that essence and origins that I was talking about, um, which uh, is going back to those really open agenda-free spaces, Jeff. Fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, there might even be some dancing. Who knows? Well, I will be uh, watching your website closely to see if the dancing uh, appears. <laughs> that your final takeaway for the listeners? Yeah, I came across something, Jeff, again, as I was uh, looking at it, and the final takeaway was what would you say to your you know, 13-year-old self if you were doing life again. Um, and I just, you know, came, came across what, what I wrote. Um, and so that's, I guess, part of what I'd like to share. So this is what I would say. I would say lighten up, laugh at yourself. I would say straighten up, stand tall when you come into a room. And I would say speak up, use your voice for good. Beautiful. What a lovely final takeaway to leave the listeners with. Di, thank you very much indeed for taking the time out to come onto the show and to provide so much insight and provoke so much thought. It's been an absolute pleasure to be able to spend some time with you. So thank you very much indeed. You're very welcome. And the feeling's entirely mutual, Jeff. A huge thank you to Di Murray for taking the time to come on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to be part of that discussion and it certainly left me pondering a thing or two. If you want to find out more about Di Murray and her business coming up for air, then please do check out the show notes where you'll find links to her website and also how you can start a conversation with her on social media. If you've enjoyed the show, please do leave the show a rating Uh, And a short review, it will allow us to reach more people in the coming months as we continue on our quest to share different ideas in relation to balance and well-being. If you're a business and want to get involved, then please check out the page on the Ignite Performance website on partnerships and how you can help us grow the podcast even more in 2019 and beyond. 
Next week, I will be back with my guest interview with a fantastic guy called Tim Roberts, a speaker, thought provoker, and the business owner of Enthuse Coaching. Until then, remember this. When you have a balance, enjoy it. When you've got an imbalance, embrace it. For in those moments, you're striving towards achieving your next success, increasing your happiness, or improving your overall well-being. Bye for now.